We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission. Jacob Albrock, Tommy Kester. This is Sports Daily on Wichita's number one sports radio, 97.5 and 1240 KFH. All right, good morning, everybody. Welcome in to Sports Daily here on KFH. I'm Tommy Kester. Jacob Albrock will be joining us shortly. Jad Chambers is producing the program. That IHOP hotline is open for you at 869-1240. A lot to get to on the program today. We've got some giveaways. We're going to be giving away tickets to the new Wonka movie at Boulevard Theaters in Town West Square next Thursday night. We will do that in just a little while. We've also got tickets to Illuminations at Botanica that we will give away. We've also got some tickets to the Wichita State game this Saturday night at Intrust Bank Arena. So, Stick around for that. There's so much coming up on the show today. We will talk to Wichita State Athletic Director Kevin Saul, kicking off hour number two for his bi-weekly visit at 10 o'clock. That's coming up. We'll talk to him about Shocker basketball and a lot of other things uh, to get to with Kevin Saul in hour number two today. We're going to kick things off here on the program with some breaking news that came down, Jacob, just, I mean, as recently as a couple of hours ago from our buddy Tim Fitzgerald from GoPowerCat.com about Colin Klein. We've talked a lot over the last year or so about the interest that Klein may have uh, from other programs, and it looks like uh, something developing here with Texas A&M. Yeah, maybe I wasn't so crazy, right, about that dumpster fire money there uh, in Aggieland. It's an inevitability, I think, to some degree for Colin Klein. We've we've talked about this before, right? It's going to be really difficult for K-State to keep Colin Klein forever unless he's the head coach. Right. Um, You know, I I think there was some hope that maybe Avery would keep him there, and maybe that's what happened last year with Notre Dame or at least the appeal of, you know, making a run at a Big 12 title and all those things. Well, look, there's sort of a rebuild there. We'll see how quickly Avery develops. And I know... Another quick asterisk, I get it. Everybody now is worried about Avery Johnson and his future at K-State because of how close he you know, is, by all accounts, to Colin Klein. Colin Klein, a big part of the reason he chose K-State. I get all that. I've never had any indication. I'm not as close to this as some people, and we'll talk to Fitz about this tomorrow. But I don't think that Avery is in any danger of leaving right now. Whether that changes down the road in the modern era, I don't know. Uh, but... 
I, I think you, I think everything's okay for now. Look, I, I think it's but a look, concern. I don't know if it's a legitimate it, oh, concern. Oh, sure, it's a concern. But I think yeah, it's, it I sure think is. it's a concern. I mean, you know, considering that Texas A&M has all the money in the world to throw at yeah. NIL, and and, and it's well, a concern. I'm not suggesting that that's what drives Avery Johnson, but he's got that relationship with Colin Klein. And, you know, it's an SEC school. If Avery Johnson looks like, you know, he's going to be uh, an NFL guy, and by all accounts it looks like he probably is, um, you know, is it good for him to continue on with Colin Klein at Texas A&M? I I don't know. I mean, I I think that it is something that bears watching. I'm with you. I don't have any indication that anything is imminent with Avery Johnson, but I do think it bears watching. Well, look, I I think that (laughs) – there's plenty big playing quarterback in the Big 12 versus playing quarterback in the you know in the SEC doesn't make a whole lot of difference as far as translating to success in the NFL. I I think when people everyone you just can't take offense in these situations. This is why I said, you know, let's hope that Elko goes to A&M, right? So that Klein and Leipold are safe and I know, you know, some people think I'm crazy when I say stuff like that, but it's just the reality of of the the room you got to look around the room and and you know right now there is a tier in college football that is higher than the big 12 there just is and that's okay and I think this would be different if Colin Klein were a head coach somewhere but he's not and you know he, he here's the other reality about this this is almost no risk for Colin Klein here like just just put yourself in Colin Klein's shoes it's almost no risk right if you go to A&M and you have success as the offensive coordinator there, it almost all but guarantees you a head coaching job in the SEC soon. And that is different animal, right? That is a different stratosphere, being a head coach in the SEC. This is a ticket to potentially doing that. It is the next progression of things for Colin Klein. It's different than Notre Dame, right? It is different than Notre Dame. And so I don't know... It, it, at some point, and, and everybody thinks it's all about the money. It's not all about the money. It's never. It's almost never all about the money. It's about reaching the next level of what it is when you're driven to be the best at what it is you do. And I have, and and we talked to Colin Klein this summer, and and we didn't get a lot of insight on this, but I can, I can almost guarantee you that the ultimate goal for Colin Klein someday is to be a big time head coach at some level, whether it's college football, I don't know, NFL, I don't know. College, let's just say it's college football because that's where he is now. The fastest ticket to being able to do that and basically pick your spot is to become a great coordinator, right? We saw Venables do this at Clemson. He got to pick his spot pretty much with OU. Everybody wanted him for years and years and years. So, you know, it is a different stratosphere. It is not a slight to K-State. I, I hope K-State fans aren't offended and say, well, why would you go to A&M? Oh, my God, it's all about the money. It's just everything's all about the money and the money. No, the money's a factor, I'm sure. But the reality is it's going to a place where if you have success, you will get to the highest level of college football quickly. And that's not the same at Kansas State. The the no-risk part for Klein is K-State's always going to welcome back Colin Klein with open arms, right? He's given that university 20 years. So it, it, it we should be happy, I think, for Colin Klein and and devastated that he left because he is the up-and-comer. And But the reality is, Tommy, we've talked about this for a long time. Keeping both Kleiman and Colin Klein was always going to be near impossible to do. And so 
you know, A&M doesn't, you know, bark up that tree with climbing, but they get Klein and you just got like, that's just, it is what it is. It what you know, Colin Klein wasn't going to stay at K-State forever as the offensive coordinator. It just was, that's not going to happen. Well, let's take it a different direction entirely. I mean, who's to say that there isn't a scenario in a year or three years or five years or whatever that timeline looks like when Chris Kleiman does leave Kansas state. And then at that point, you've got a shoe in to be the next head coach for the Wildcats and Colin Klein. Uh, and I think that I know that you mentioned that he would be, if he has success at A&M, you know, could be a guy for a head coaching job in the sec. That could very well be the case. But again, I, I think that it is just knowing the passion that Klein has for Kansas State. I mean, sure. he would be the guy that I think that Gene Taylor would absolutely pursue before anybody else to replace Chris Kleiman if and when that time happens. Now, is Klein going to be on the market and available if and when that happens? And, and maybe Chris Kleiman doesn't leave Kansas State anytime soon. I don't know what that looks like, but at least, you know, you've got Klein. And, and, I, and he could have been just elevated from offensive coordinator at Kansas State to head coach if Kleiman had left. And I would oh, imagine, I would imagine yeah. that if Kleiman had left for one of these openings that had happened, that would have been you know a lot of speculation. But I do think for anybody that would be out there that would say, well, you know, Colin Klein really hasn't been anywhere else other than Kansas State. Well, you kind of put that to bed if he goes to A&M and has success and then that head coaching vacancy at Kansas State is there. It, he would just be a natural shoe-in to succeed Chris Kleiman at Kansas State. Of course. And that's always going to be on the table. The risk for K-State fans is if he gets a better job first. Right. Because, you know, let's say – I don't even know what the example is. Let's say Ole Miss, right? Like he, he blows it out of the water and has an incredible year or two at A&M and Ole Miss comes in and hired him as their head coach. I'm using that as an example. Whatever. Are you going to be able to pry him back away from that if that, you know, situation presented itself? It's going to be hard to do because at that point, right, you're taking a step back in the level of college football that's happening. Maybe. So I don't. Maybe. 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 Right? Like it's it's a may. I think it's absolutely a maybe. Totally. I'm not saying it's not going to happen. I'm just saying it gets more difficult. I don't think it's a foregone I, conclusion that, you know, a mid-level uh, SEC team is a better destination than Kansas State would be. In, in, in that's the, what I'm saying. In the, in the wide that's open Big 12, and with the way that yeah, that yeah, conference yeah, yeah. is developing, that's what I'm saying. with the programs that are coming in, I don't know if it's just capacity. a foregone conclusion that it, a, a program it's like not. Ole Miss or I mean, heck, like Vanderbilt, of, you know, for right. instance. Like, I, I think yeah, that Kansas State is a better but. is a better destination than, than one of those schools. Yeah, it, it's it's it, and that's where, but it's not a slam dunk, right? It's not a... Oh, he's a K-State guy. He's going to come back to K-State. Otherwise, you know, Venables probably right. would have been back at some point. But you you just have to – you just it's, – it's okay. It's all right. It's okay. It sucks. It sucks. Man, I hate it. But I get it, and it's inevitable. And now the concern turns to the quarterback taking over in this bowl game and Avery Johnson and – and again, I, I believe that there was in in the in the Go Power Cat report that everything seems good. Everything is is you know tight and locked up, and there's no issue there, and there's no chatter about. And the other thing is, I don't think Colin Klein would do that to K State. That would have to be like I don't I don't think Colin Klein's going to go and try and poach anybody. I don't think I think he has more you know more 
love for the university than that to go do that. But Will Howard's out there, right? And I don't know what A&M's quarterback situation is, but hey, Will Howard's right there. And that maybe makes this process easier for Klein, too, as he knows in year one he can go get somebody he's comfortable with. I don't know that. Um, but now I'm nervous about Avery Johnson. And I, and I think that's unreasonable, and I think it's misguided. And I, at least in the short term it is, but I'm not sure that it is in the long term. And we'll see. And this is where you look at the Wild West nature of this, and you're just, I mean, look at some of the quarterbacks. Ohio State, Oklahoma, like big-time quarterbacks have said, you know what, we're going to go test the market. And again, before you go nuts and blame those kids, like put yourself in their shoes. What if none of those guys, what if Dylan Gabriel's never an NFL quarterback, Tommy? What if the highest level of quarterback that he will play is in college football? Is it that crazy and unreasonable for him to go try to capitalize on that the best he can in the one or two years of his career that he has left? No, that's not crazy. You'd be crazy not to, in fact. So I know that you and I don't in-depth cover Texas A&M. So I didn't know about this until I just looked it up. It's not like I'm following what's happening with the Aggies. But their starting quarterback, Max Johnson, entered the transfer portal after this season as a grad transfer. He committed to North Carolina. Uh, and so Drake May obviously is done at North Carolina. Right. So Max Johnson is a guy that you know could be competing or could be looking at being the starting quarterback for the Tar Heels next season. They're without a starting quarterback from what I can tell right now. Again, I don't know what recruiting looks like. I don't know who they have in the pipeline. I don't, I, I don't follow Texas A&M that closely. Obviously, a coaching change, Mike Elko coming in. You know, Johnson is out the door. It's, it's hard for me to not think that there is some correlation between the fact, and I'm not saying it's Avery Johnson, but some correlation between the fact that he that Mike Elko brought in an offensive coordinator that, number one, develops quarterbacks really well, was a great you know Heisman candidate quarterback during his time at Kansas State, and has connections with, you know, whether it's Will Howard or, you know, I don't think Jake Rubley is probably the guy for Texas A&M. No. <clears throat> but no. between Howard and Johnson, I mean, there's, you know, there are a couple of options. Isn't that there. a hotel chain, Howard and Johnson? I think, Howard it's, just Johnson. Ha I think it's just Howard Johnson. Howard Johnson. Yeah. Uh, look, I would say on December 6th at 9.15 in the morning that there is a much better chance that Will Howard is the quarterback for the Aggies than Avery Johnson is the quarterback for the Aggies. I, I think for a lot of reasons. I think, I think for Texas A&M that makes more sense right now, but... I don't, you know, there's a dynamic at play here, whether Colin Klein would intentionally do something or not. Like, Avery Johnson is also, you know, a factor in that and whatever he wants to do. And, and again, I don't, I don't think he's going to do anything. He's going to be the quarterback at Kansas State. Like, you put in your time, you do that. I think there's a better chance after next year, if something were going to happen with Avery Johnson, that it might. I, I would, again, connecting the dots, I think that Will Howard now to the Aggies makes a ton of sense, and the chances of that happening are probably pretty high. Um, you know, what what that means for, you know, Klein, because you know, Klein's got to be able to go there and have success too. So while I don't think he would do anything to K-State intentionally, this this all gets really difficult and hard, and, and I, I would hate to be in the position to try and navigate this. But, you know, probably... I mean, if I'm 
if I'm Chris Kleiman, the first call that I make when I get this news is to Avery Johnson and be like, hey, we good? Like, you secure yeah. here? Like, we got to know. Like, right now, tell me. Like, what what's going on here? And and I think that that's I think that's going to be the case. But then of course you know you're going to get you know the deep pocketed A and M NIL collectives doing whatever it is that they feel like they need to do. But I don't know that Colin Klein, if he you know again connecting the dots. I've not talked to any of these people, so don't take any of this as gospel or fact or anything like that. We can talk to Fitz later in the week who does talk to these people. But if I'm Colin Klein, I'm far more inclined to take that job if I've had conversations with Will Howard. If I know what my like, I if I'm Colin Klein, I'm not sure I want to go to A and M and not have a quarterback, you know, in place, yeah. or take that job without some idea of who my quarterback's going to be. You're going to roll into the SEC and try to compete without a quarterback? I mean, come on now. Well, and if so, you knew that your the guy that was there this year is coming back and Max Johnson, then you would have a little bit more, you know, of an understanding. But he's going to a program that is without a starting quarterback. To my knowledge, I could be wrong on that, but from what I'm reading, you know, Max Johnson was the guy, and they don't have an incumbent starting quarterback this next season. So if Klein is accepting that role, then I think a large part of that, you would have to think discussions between Mike Elko and Colin Klein centered around, okay, Colin, if you're going to be the offensive coordinator, who's your quarterback going to be? Who can you go out and get? And is it Will Howard? Or is it Avery Johnson? Is it one of those guys, you know, that you had at Kansas State? I don't think Colin Klein accepts that position without having a starting quarterback in mind, you know, that he can bring in right for that position. I again, I, I, I totally agree. I think there's a much better chance now on December sixth that that quarterback is Will Howard than it is Avery Johnson. But at the same time, if you're Elko, you make a run at Avery Johnson. Don't you? Well, yeah. I mean, so absolutely, you're not supposed you're, you're not supposed to do that stuff, but they will. I mean, of course they will, and you're going to make a run at everybody, anybody in the country that you can. Maybe he doesn't see Avery Johnson that way. Maybe Colin Klein can be like, "Hey, man, he's not ready." I don't know, but Colin Klein obviously went with Will Howard a lot this season over Avery Johnson. If that tells us anything. Again, I think there's a better chance it's Howard, and then the concern for Avery Johnson should come after this season if he's really good. But the other thing to keep in mind is just the style of quarterback that Avery Johnson is, comparing the style of quarterback Colin Klein was, right? And and so those two kinds of quarterbacks can run. Will Howard Howard can run, run, but you know, Will Howard is a big dude, right? Like he's built differently than Colin Klein was. Uh, Colin Klein is much more similar to Avery Johnson as far as their attributes and their skill set and all of that. Um, I think that's part of the reason why uh, when, you know, this season came down to it, there were a lot of times that Colin Klein went with Avery Johnson over Will Howard. Because he's got experience and and he's good. And like, if he, you know, if let's just think about it this way. If you got outside of that small, you know, what is it? A two or three game stretch this year where they, where they had to go to Avery. Like if you're A and M and you know you're getting the, you know the second half of the season slash last year's version of Will Howard, I'd be pretty excited about that sure. if I was an Aggie fan. Sure. Now there is you know a bit of a Jekyll and Hyde nature, but it's been far more. Which one's the good guy, Jekyll or Hyde? Jekyll. Jekyll's the good uh, guy. I think Jekyll's the good guy. Hyde's the bad yeah, guy. Yeah. It's been it's been far more Jekyll than Hyde over the last two years, right? And and 
I, I don't know. I again, I haven't followed A and M. I don't know what I don't know what they have coming back. I don't know how good they are. I don't know. I have no idea. None other than they have a top five recruiting class every single year. So good for Elko. He went and got the top guy. Apparently, that Penn State also wanted, and Penn State ended up with Kotelnicki, which is interesting, obviously. And it, again, like these top assistants, like you can't keep them. You just that's right. college football, folks. Like I know that sucks. But that just means you got a good program. Like, you can't keep assistants. That's what everybody deals with. Look at Nick Saban. He's been the assistant factory, right? Like, when you're good, you can either keep your head coach or you can keep your assistants by promoting them. There's nowhere else to promote these guys. I think in the case of both programs at Kansas State and Kansas, 98% of the fan base would say, hey, look, it sucks. But we're glad we've got Kleiman. We're glad we've got Leipold, right? I mean, with it's and, more than two percent that will take personal offense to this. But today. but but especially at Kansas, when the culture is being rebuilt there, like I'm bummed that the Jayhawks won't have Kotelnicki. But man, like they're keeping Leipold. You know, he's the he's the the captain of the ship, right? And I think it should be the same way at Kansas State. I know that Colin. I Klein, think it should be too. But I like while ninety nine point nine percent or a hundred of Jayhawk fans would say, yeah, it'll, it's definitely better that we keep Leipold. That's not. I mean, what's the percentage you don't on K State fans that, at Kansas State? No, 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 no. I do not. And but but we brought this up at the beginning of the year. You, you're not going to be able to have them both forever, right? It's just the reality of the situation. When, when he, when he you know, last minute turned down Notre Dame last year, right? It made it very, like, you're not going to keep them both forever. You can only have one. And it's why it was almost like the insurance plan if Leipold, I mean, if Kleiman ever did leave, it was like, okay, well, they've got Colin Klein right there. Wouldn't be that big a deal. Well, now you don't have Klein there. Now he's in the SEC, so it's not a shoe-in that he would come back if he has success there. And now, now, anytime Kleiman's rumored for anything, it gets a whole lot that you know that butt pucker factor yeah. gets a whole lot higher because then what do you do? My my final thought on this is that we've talked about before about how Texas A and M has had a significant amount of trouble over the years in developing the players that they've brought in. Right? They can yep. buy the best players in America with the money they have, but they've never been able to develop them and have that success on the field. Colin Klein is as good as they come as far as developing offensive players and quarterbacks. So I, I think it's a slam dunk hire from that perspective. Mike Elko did a great job in targeting Colin Klein. Elko will not do anything this offseason that will have a more positive impact on their success than what he did and pulled off by getting Colin Klein there. All right, let's uh, we can talk more about this because now K State's got to find an offensive coordinator now. Like uh, you know, on to the next one, and that's you know that's a tall task. And same thing KU's dealing with. So we'll go into that. We'll see how quickly they can do it. Again, while it fits on uh, tomorrow to dig more into this, be good timing because they'll have some time to really uh, learn some things today. But we'll come back. Uh, we got we got so many giveaways today uh, to get through on the IHOP hotline at 869-1240. Let's, do, uh, let's start with some movie tickets. You can check out Wonka at Boulevard Theaters in Town West Square. Now, this is the new Wonka movie, the one with Timothy Chalamet. You can see it at 7 o'clock next Thursday, a week from tomorrow, December 14th. Pair tickets right now to the first caller to the IHOP hotline, 869-1240. More Sports Daily coming right after this.
Tommy, my anniversary was yesterday. Uh, I remembered that. What was yesterday? Tuesday? I remember that about Monday at 11 p.m. Um, but so did my wife. It was a to big one, right? Wasn't it like a. It was a 10 years. Okay, yeah, it yeah. wasn't. <laughs> I, I forget them a lot. And so th- there's a couple of problems in play with why it is that I forget this thing. It, one, my oldest daughter's birthday is just a few days before. So, you know, all of our focus is on that. Um, it's a very busy time of the year anyway. So I I go – last year I was like, all right, I'm not going to – this isn't going to happen again. So I set a reminder in my phone like a week before that says something like, your anniversary is soon, stupid. Like something like that. Like, oh, right. So I set that. We're out of town. I see it. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. Okay. Well, I got time. I'm like, December 9th. We're good. Uh, well, we've got like a, 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 a TV or the TV station has like a holiday party. It's like, oh, you know, haha. I laughed at my wife. I was like, we'll celebrate at the company, you know, a Christmas party. It'll be great. Well, I'm laughing. And she, you know, had a good laugh. We're all good. And on with our, on with our business. And then Monday night, she's like, our anniversary's tomorrow. I'm like, what are you talking about? So I, I knew when I said that, because December 9th is Saturday. I'm like, December 9th at the company holiday party. And the whole time, I'm like, that doesn't seem right. And I was like, I'll check the big, you know, the big board we have right. in the house that says what I was like. I'll, I'll check that when I get home. I totally forgot to do it. No, 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 no. December 9th is the one year anniversary of when we opened the East HTO. Okay. Not our anniversary of our wedding, which is December 5th. Ah. So uh, did absolutely nothing to celebrate our uh 10th you know it's it's a complicated time i think to get married i mean it's right in the holiday swing you're in between thanksgiving and christmas there's so much going on i mean that was we were engaged for like 18 months we couldn't afford anything we were broke like we couldn't afford anything we were both working in small market tv like we didn't have any money so it was like wait now wait a minute we we wanted to do she she's from san diego so it's like we'll do a wedding there and you can imagine that that's not as uh affordable as it would be to get married in Amarillo. So here we are, like, too broke. I'm, I mean, we're talking broke. Like, we didn't make any money. And so it's like, okay, well, how do we do this? How do we pull this off? And we're also almost 30. So it's like, I'm not just going to, like, have my parents pay. I'm 30 yeah. years old. Like, no, nobody needs to pay for my wedding. So we're looking at it. We're looking at it. And lo and behold, in December, on, like, a weeknight, everything's a whole lot less expensive there in San Diego. So that's what we did. We're like, oh, great. We'll go, you know, we'll do it then. And So <laughs> here's a wedding hack, and, and I've, I've heard people do this. I didn't do this, but I've heard people do this. If you get married around the holidays and you get married in a church, you don't have to buy flowers because the churches already have the flowers already in decorated. place. That's good. All the poinsettias, all of that for the holidays. Yeah. You're saving a ton of money on flowers. That's a wedding hack for you. Well, as somebody whose uh, family has been in the floral business forever, um, I would say buy lots of flowers for your wedding, no matter what. We did an outside. We did an outside wedding, uh, so we, it didn't matter anyway. We did some, very minimal. It, it was fine. Like it's not. It's it's great. Like it's a it's a it's hard to do things though. And we're go- look. Don't no no. This isn't a woe is me thing. Like we're taking a trip uh, in March. For for our tenth anniversary, that was another piece of why this didn't really matter that much on the day. But it was funny. I was like, man, we did nothing for our tenth anniversary. Like no card, no like literally nothing. You know, you got the obligatory like Facebook post, and that right. was it. Like that's that's the only thing we did yesterday. Do you guys do uh, with, with, now that you have kids? Do you guys do Christmas gifts for one another? Because my wife and I used no. to, and like now we don't. Like Not we've got really. kids, and we're like. 
ah, do we really need to get each other gifts or are we good? No, usually, usually Michelle like will find me a shirt, which is more utility than it is gift. Because as people that watch our video stream know, I wear like the same shirt every day. Uh, so, you know, she'll, she might get me like a shirt um, and I might get her like a gift certificate to some workout class that she likes. Like it's not, no, there's, um, there's very little, and we don't, and we don't care either. Like, it's almost like you get to that point where you feel guilty about it. We're like, well, God, I gotta, you know, I gotta do something like I, right. but like, why, like why neither of us really need it. And that most guys are that way anyway. Like I don't need gifts. If I want yeah. something, I'll just go get it. Right. Like I don't. My I'm wife not patient is, enough for gifts anyway. My wife is very much a kind of that way. Like if she wants something, she'll go and get it. Or she would rather tell me, like if we were going to do gifts, she would rather tell me what she wants. And then honestly, she would be okay with going and getting it and then wrapping it for herself to open on Christmas morning. And so it kind of takes me completely out of it. And I'm kind of like, I don't even really know what you're opening right now. It says it's from me, but I don't know. Uh, so like I and there have been times that over the course of our 10 years together where I have bucked that trend and I've went and I've got her something and it typically doesn't go well because she doesn't she it wasn't something that she said she wanted. I've tried to surprise her. She she's not very good at surprises. Uh, so Mine's I just kind of I've learned to just like all. sit back and if she wants it, just let her go get it. I, I agree. Like they, I, my wife also, I say they as our wives here. Yeah. That's not like a general statement for all of humanity, although it's all I know. Uh, they, they say they want a surprise, but then you yeah. do it and they don't like it. And you're like, yep. why, like, why are we going through all this pain and suffering? Just do it yourself and uh, yeah. be happy with it. And I'm happy. Yeah, I, I surprised her with a gift a few years ago. And, and to be honest, I don't even rem remember what it was, but she she didn't like it to a point to where she started to cry. And oh, no, on Christmas morning. And I'm like, OK, this is not what I thought it was going to be. I was trying <laughs> to do something very sweet. And nice. And she clearly doesn't <laughs> like it. Uh, let, let that be a lesson oh, yeah, to me I to not it. do that again. I hate giving gifts because I'm not patient enough. I, I can't wait. Like if I get something for somebody I, it's really hard for me to wait until christmas yeah. for them to open it but i i got I, that sort of thing happened with my wife with a trip so we we always laugh like i'm the youngest in my family youngest child she's the oldest very different dynamic i'm very much like yeah i don't really care whatever that's the way you lived your life right you just fly by the seat of your pants you're just kind of long for the ride she's the oldest very different planner like in charge that you know whatever and so I'd, I planned this trip uh, recently to New York City. I was like, I'm going to surprise her. It's going to be awesome, right? Like this big, fancy trip. She has a friend up there. It'll be great. She hadn't seen that friend in a while. She'd never been to New York City. And I don't – I mean, I have this thing locked down. I pulled it off. We're at the airport. She doesn't know where we're going. And she finally – we're in like one of the restaurants before we get on, and I finally tell her. And her response – I'm not kidding – was not like – Stone faced, no expression change. Well, how are we going to get from the airport? Like that was it. I'm, I'm like, I'm sorry, what? Like getting a, getting a cab? Like she was, and it was immediate like concern. Well, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? You know, because yeah. like that's the way her brain. Right. And I'm like, okay, you know what? Like I'm never doing this again. Yeah. Like that. That's it. That's the last time. This clearly isn't the way that's ever going to like be the right way. 
why don't I just say, let's take a trip. You pick the place. Like I, it's so it's funny. It's funny that, and I think that it's like, we, there are so many times we laugh about that. Like the, and now that we have kids, we see it so obviously like the different, yeah. like birth order dynamic is so much in play. Uh, it's so it's, I, and I remember what that, what that gift was now, actually. So it, we had just gotten engaged and we had gotten our engagement like photos a done. Vacuum cleaner or something? No, no, no. We had gotten our engagement photos done and we had received them. And I thought, okay, I'm going to pick one of these pictures. I'm going to get it blown up and put on a canvas that we can hang on our wall. It's a beautiful engagement photo. You know, you can do like, you can it's put different gift. like Bible verses or you can put whatever, like different sayings on, on the canvas, really high quality. Uh, the problem was, is I, I picked one of the engagement pictures that she didn't think she, she didn't looked like. good in. She didn't like, and so all of a sudden she's opening this canvas that's massive to hang on our living room yeah. wall, and she doesn't think she looks good in it, and it was a disaster. And, and clearly you do. It's it's I, I that that one's one where you look back and you've been like, yeah, I should have seen yeah, that coming. I like if you would yeah. if you would have like if you would have gone to a room of other husbands and been like, hey guys, this is what I'm gonna do. Every single yeah. other person would have been like, "Ooh, nope. you nope. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't not not as a surprise. Has she seen that picture? Like, yeah. are you cl- are you 100 percent clear that she likes that? Yep. Yeah, no, that wouldn't have been uh, that wouldn't have been good. And I'm not casting stones because now I get like, you know, when my wife's taking 8000 pictures of the minutia of every day, I'll, I'll get one back. And I'm like, you can't do something with that. Like, I when did I get 65 years older than I was yesterday? Like, you, you like what what the hell happened to yeah. me there? Uh, so I'm not, you know, I'm not casting stones on it. I just, it's understandable. I get it. Look in retrospect, yeah. you know, I, I'm, yeah. I'm older, I'm wiser now and I don't do that sort yeah. of thing anymore. <laughs> just, uh, just whatever. Uh, it, it's so f- all these stereotypes and things you hear about just come true. Like, Oh, I forgot about my 10th wedding anniversary. Awesome. It's it's welcome to life, I guess. Uh, all right, eight six nine twelve forty. Uh, congratulations to Alex for winning some Wonka tickets. Uh, we've got Kevin Saul coming up at the top of the hour. The story of the day right now is Colin Klein going to Texas A and M. So now, what does Kansas State do? I think that's an interesting dynamic here uh, that we can begin to explore a little bit. By the way, K State basketball with a massive win last night. We can get into both of those topics here in the next segment and throughout the show. Uh, Because we have so many things to give away, let's go right back to the well. This time, we'll give away some Illuminations at Botanica tickets. With more than 2 million lights, Illuminations has been ranked among the top 10 in light shows across the country. Don't miss the 62-foot Christmas tree in Botanica's new Candyland storybook gingerbread house. You can get a pair of tickets to... Uh, Illuminations at Botanica by being the first caller right now on the IHOP hotline, 869-1240. Good luck. Uh, We'll talk a little Cats basketball, little Cats football now after the Colin Klein news when we return on Sports Daily. Welcome back in, everybody. Sports Daily. Uh, Tommy, you're seeing Cliff Kingsbury chatter. By the way, congratulations to Earl uh, for winning the tickets to Illuminations at Botanica. Cliff Kingsbury chatter, huh? I, I would. I mean, obviously, that'd be a slam dunk. I'd yeah. Go for it right now. Yeah, I don't. I don't see anything. You know that he's, you know, interested or indicated any any kind of interest. I, I would think, I think he can land. Yeah, it's kind of higher. a it's kind of a wish list. I think it's a wish list from uh, the fan base. Uh, I've seen a lot of K State fans saying. They would love yeah, to have Cliff Kingsbury in Manhattan. 
you know, somebody that's a, a quarterback guy. Um, you know, if the, the goal, and it should be the goal, uh, to retain Avery Johnson, then there should be a high-profile offensive coordinator in, in that regard, I think is kind of the thought process. I would be... Uh... I would be surprised if Cliff Kingsbury would come to Manhattan. Uh, but as far as a wish list goes, yeah. I mean, I'd be all over that. I think he'd be great. I don't think that's what's going to happen. There, It's so funny how so much of this depends on a guy who's had, like, no official starts yet as a college quarterback, right? Like, he's had some playing time this year, but... You know, if you could attract somebody in, it'll be because of Avery Johnson. The concern about Avery Johnson now that, you know, Colin Klein is leaving in the transfer portal era. And I, I just, it, Tim Fitzgerald reporting 17 minutes ago that all indications are that Avery Johnson is rock solid as a wildcat. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's priority one. And then you do have to sort of hire to, Somebody that can can you know really accentuate his skill set, and it's not like you go ask Avery Johnson, right? Like, oh, you because let's not forget, Chris Kleiman's a quarterback whisperer before Colin Klein. Like he's he's had a tremendous amount of sec- success with quarterbacks even before you know Klein came in and and took it to another level. So I think you just have to trust to some degree that Kleiman knows how to coach that position, and you know in house always makes sense. But I'm not sure that would be the way I would like for it to go unless you get some indication that that's a a thing that you think would help Avery Johnson succeed. That, that you know, that's the only thing because otherwise, remember, they promoted Colin Klein because longtime climate assistants weren't getting the job done. Yeah. And so that's how Klein sort of strapped a rocket to his butt right as a coach and became the offensive coordinator as quickly as he did. So I'm not sure internal is like, oh, you got to go that way. In fact, I think uh, unless there's some indication from maybe Johnson, you probably begin the process elsewhere, right? Like where else can you go externally? Another name externally that I'm seeing getting some chatter is former Texas Tech head coach Matt Wells, who is currently an assistant at Oklahoma. Um, He was at Utah State for a number of years. Um, and he so, and Kleiman have a, a relationship, I think, right? I, I don't know. I'd have to look at that. It's um, either McGuire or Wells. It's one of the former tech coaches. Now I can't remember if it's Joey McGuire now or Matt Wells prior. I think it was Matt Wells. I think they have, like, he's got a, he's got a, an affinity. I think it's for Wells, and I don't know that they've ever even coached together. I don't think that they have, but... Um, he, he was a big fan of his while he was at tech. I'm almost certain that they had some connection and it could have been McGuire, but I don't think it was, I think it was Matt Wells. So that's an interesting name too. That would make a lot of sense actually. Uh, and I'd be, I'd be good with that. You know, he's a, he's a quarterback guy also. I mean, I, I think it's pretty apparent and we've talked about it before the importance of whoever that offensive coordinator is being incredibly rock solid in developing quarterbacks. And Kleiman is a quarterback whisperer too, as we know. But but yeah. knowing you kind of had a dual threat there with both Kleiman and Klein, and it made it it made it that much better for the quarterbacks in that system. I think that's a big reason why Will Howard had the the improvement that we saw from him because he had both of those coaches. You've got to have, I think, somebody like that to replace Colin Klein. 
everything about K-State is going to be predicated on being a quarterback factory in general terms. So yes, they, the, the hire that they make should be predicated on the quarterback position to some degree because that's what's going to help K-State be the most successful. You know, K-State reaches, you know, they're always going to be able to develop players, right, and have upperclassmen that are really good. That's a part of the DNA. But to stay at that top level, they need to continue a reputation of being a quarterback factory and, and you know, potentially getting guys to the NFL, doing the things that they've done now for a long time. And so, yeah, getting a quarterback person in there does make the most sense, not just for Avery, but for the future of the program as well. The other interesting thing about Matt Wells is I'm looking at it. He's 50 years old, right? Like, so, you know, that maybe there's some longevity in play if you make a hire like that, too. If Cliff Kingsbury came to Manhattan, he'd be there for five seconds, right? It's not... It, it, number one, I don't think Cliff Kingsbury would come to Manhattan. I, I'm a, I like Cliff Kingsbury, by the way. This is none of this is a knock on Cliff Kingsbury, but what we've seen from Cliff Kingsbury over his career, yeah, he was at Tech for a while. He went to Texas Tech, but you know, remember the old Andy Reid, Cliff Kingsbury draft night photos, and you know the appeal of Southern California for Kingsbury. I'm not sure that there's a total fit there. You know what I mean? Like of you don't think that Cliff Kingsbury could find a house in Manhattan that looks like the one that he, he was in during the draft? Sure he can. He can do whatever he wants. I just don't know if if going to Manhattan, Kansas at this stage of his career is where he would lean. That'd be an Avery Johnson thing if it happened. I'd love it if Cliff Kingsbury came to Manhattan. I again, I'm a Kingsbury guy. I I'm a I'm a, a almost like a stan. Like I still think he's an incredible offensive mind despite what's happened. So I'd be all for it. I just don't think it's going to happen. Uh, Matt Wells is interesting. That would be an interesting one for sure. What a morning. Uh, I, I I hadn't... Shame on me, right? When Klein turned down Notre Dame, I just sort of put all that stuff behind it. And, and I knew A&M was dangerous. I didn't even think about it this way. And, and I don't blame Klein at all. He probably made the right decision because I'm telling you, if he has a couple of years of success at A&M, he's going to be a head coach in the SEC. No brainer, right? I, I get it. I totally get it. All right, we've got uh, we've got Kevin Saul joining us, I believe, next segment, and and it will be a good segment because I want to talk to him about the reporting yesterday on a potential new subdivision, almost or a new tier, almost of college athletics, and what that might mean for you know Wichita State or where if there's any perspective on like where that line would be able to come, like what, where would that line be? Is it like the big 12? I, I don't know, but we'll talk to Kevin Saul about that and shocker athletics right now, shocker basketball, most specifically and volleyball with a big uh, contest coming tonight. We'll do it all on sports daily. Hour number two coming up. Jacob Albrock, Tommy Kester. This is Sports Daily on Wichita's number one sports radio, 97.5 and 1240 KFH. Hey, Shocker fans, want the latest on Wichita State Athletics? Let's go right to the source with Shocker AD Kevin Saul. 
And welcome back in. Hour number two, Jacob Albrock, Tommy Caster with you. And we are joined by Wichita State Athletic Director Kevin Saul as we get uh, Shocker Volleyball in the NIVC third round tonight at Charles Koch Arena. We'll get into that. We've got men's basketball coming up on a big uh, Interest Bank Arena showdown this weekend. We'll get into all that. Kevin, welcome in. How are you? Good morning, guys. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Good. I, I want to get into all of that, but we love your insight and perspective on bigger things that happen. Uh, and I and I want to get just some in, initial reaction. And I don't know how much of this like spreads out all across the country, but a couple of reports yesterday that the NCAA president, Charlie Baker, has proposed a new subdivision that would allow some different things. Is is Wichita State a part of those conversations? And is this as big a deal as it sort of initially seems potentially? Well, I I certainly think, as I was sharing with somebody yesterday, that this yesterday was a day that will be a, a sentence, a bullet point, or a paragraph in, in the history of college athletics, for sure. Um, I, I read, to be honest with you guys, I've read the letter probably three times, and certainly there's a lot of themes that have been discussed over the last handful of years. Um, there's some new elements uh, that have been discussed. There's the discussion of a trust for student athletes that's held until the end of their eligibility. There's a discussion of NIL systems and processes moving within athletic departments. There's, there's a lot, there's insurance and benefits and all those pieces. Um, I think what's what at least what I took from it, Jacob, and I, 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 I know it's subjective in terms of what folks take from it. I didn't necessarily take the suggestion of a independent division of athletics, but there certainly are divisive elements to that throughout 365 Division One institutions yeah. because some will be able to do. Some things, some will be able to do all things, and some will be able to do none of those things. So it will create some division. But I I think it certainly positions the NCAA in a completely and totally different spot than has been the case in the last many decades in terms of forward thinking and throwing some ideas out there. And, And President Baker has done a marvelous job of meeting with every single conference, 32 leagues, um, we had an opportunity to engage with him this summer. Um, very thoughtful in his planning and methodical and, and transparent. Um, so he's done a nice job. I think the important piece is is that now there's a process. And so all of those elements will be discussed, socialized, and at some point will be codified into a piece of NCA legislation that will be voted on. That will take some time. So I think what President Baker communicated in his letter was an intention to start a conversation around these themes and points. And so I think that conversation begins and uh, it will culminate in some piece of legislation that will be voted on and then institutions will have some decisions to make. You know, we've, I know we've had these conversations, Kevin, a few different times about, you know, potentially the need for some kind of NIL reform or guardrails, if you will. And, you know, now we're into a world where we're starting to see, you know, some Title IX issues and, and lawsuits and things like that. From, a, from your perspective at an institution like Wichita State, you know, if, if 
you were at, I don't know, Alabama, for example, I'm sure that there are a different set of priorities at that institution than there are at Wichita State. Maybe some of them are the same, but some of them are different. Like you mentioned, there's going to be some division. So from a 30,000 foot view, when you've got, you know, issues with NIL uh, nationwide, when there are potentially Title IX issues nationwide, how much of that potentially trickles down to an institution the size of Wichita State? Well, all of those elements in some form or fashion trickle down to an institution like Wichita State. What's what's necessarily different um, from, you know, and some of this is obvious, um, Tommy, so forgive me, I'm, I don't mean to be um, patronizing at all, but what what is a distinct difference is the magnitude of the dollars that are associated at that particular level. And sure. having spent 12 years at the University of Kentucky, certainly understand that piece. Um, and the, the prevalence of NIL and some of these elements um, are, are much more expansive um, at that level. But I think what's interesting is like you bring up two really good points about getting some controls about around NIL. And then you brought up the title nine piece. There has been no official determination to my knowledge from any entity or organization or authority about how title nine plays into NIL. And you know, if you look at it, the, the basic truth about NIL is it's a it is a market. I think everybody would agree it's a market driven phenomenon, whether it's a recruiting inducement or it is truly the quid pro quo of name, image, likeness, compensation. It's driven by a market. And what applicability does a independent market based phenomenon have? Uh, to gender equity in Title IX? I don't know the answer to that. Um, at some point, we, we'll need to find out the answer to that. We certainly at Wichita State are promoting NIL on both our men's and women's programs. I've, I've had conversations with donors because it's permissible for us to do so about promoting NIL within our softball program, within our bas men's and women's basketball programs. We had a meeting about NIL last night. So we're certainly all inclusive in that piece, but at the end of the day, we're not making the decisions to spend the dollars within our institution on NIL. So maybe that's a different story when, if and when NIL transitions into and underneath the purview of athletics. Um, but again, there, there's a lot of unknowns in the conversation. So in some of the reporting, Kevin Saul, Wichita State Athletic Director, we'd, we'd really appreciate the insight on on a very interesting and complicated you know story that's come out a few different places yesterday. I, I, I wonder where the line in the sand is. If something is created and some of the guesswork from you know the, the college athletics reporters on this is you know maybe a baseline of, you know, six million dollars and these trust amounts to to get you in the door. Like, where do you think that puts athletic programs? What's the line? Is that like a division of, you know, we've seen the SEC and the Big Ten at this tier, and then you know maybe the Big Twelve and the ACC at a tier, and then the American and the the best of the rest tier. Like, what is the line, and who could even be a player in that model that's been proposed by by NCAA president Charlie Baker? Yeah, and that's an interesting question because I, I don't there, – there was a tiered component to that letter, but I think the intent – I don't want to assume. I think the intent was to communicate the quantity of institutions that are, are within annual budget brackets, um, not necessarily to communicate a specific tier 
for annual budget, you're going to be in this tier, and annual budget, you're going to be in this tier. Just I think it gave folks a sense of where the landscape of annual budgets um, resides within college athletics. So let's just play a hypothetical out, uh, because what I think I think where we're headed is providing institutions the flexibility to invest, the flexibility coming in the rules and the legislation, the ability to invest in trusts, NIL, and all those pieces at a level that the institution can. And, and ultimately, that will be an institutional decision. When all of those institutional decisions are made and they'll continue to evolve over time, there will be a natural tier structure set up. There's a natural tier structure set up in NIL right now, right? You heard Matt Rule with Nebraska football last week talk about a million, million and a half, two million dollars to get a quarterback at Nebraska. Well, he's looking for a starting quarterback that can come in and contribute right away, right? That doesn't mean it's a million to a million and a half to two million dollars at Middle Tennessee State to get a quarterback, starting quarterback. It's all relative. So, in that respect, I think it's an example where NIL creates tiers naturally based on what's going on in the marketplace. I think the NCAA's intent is to create legislation and rules that give universities a flexibility and freedom that they haven't had in the space of compensating, uh, in the space of NIL, while maintaining a connection to education and the developmental components of being a part of a university and developing young people uh, that will naturally create a tiered structure. Kevin, I know you don't have a, a crystal ball with this, but do you think that this is the next step in a process that eventually ends at some kind of revenue share? Well, at the end of the day, if the the upcoming conversation includes annual contributions to a student-athlete trust that and I'm spitballing here, guys, because sure. you got a year's worth of conversation with a lot of folks that are going to be involved in it. At the end of the day, where is that? Where are those new dollars coming from? I, could you? I, so that's the hypothetical I, question. Those new dollars but, are going to come from new revenue, old revenue. So at the end of the day, I already think we're in a revenue share model. Because we have a $25 million budget at Wichita State. We have about 250 student-athletes. So on average, with everything that we're doing, and, and everything is a long conversation, guys. It's scholarships, room board books, tuition and fees, cost of attendance. Uh, it's travel. It's gear. It's uh, providing uh, what we believe are first-class and competent coaches, it's mental health, it's athletic training, it's insurance, it's medical care. We do about $100,000 a year investment on our student-athletes. So one could argue that's revenue share. We're having, we, we are producing revenue that is helping us um, support 260 student-athletes at Wichita State. Revenue share takes on a different converse, conversation when you're talking about cash, and that's where it gets into the employment conversation and the compensation piece and the pay-for-play and all those elements. But I would argue that we've been in a revenue share since college athletics began because 
we take those dollars and we're pouring them right back into our program. Okay. We desire to be really successful in all of our programs at Wichita State, and we have five that have the ability to generate revenue because we sell tickets, and we have one that truly produces revenue above and beyond expenditures, and that's men's basketball. And that program helps fund all of our other programs. So the revenue that's produced off of men's basketball is reinvested in our program, and we make what we hope are thoughtful and methodical and responsible uh, decisions on where to put that. So I just would challenge us in this conversation when we start talking about that, that it is a revenue share. It's always been a revenue share. I, 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 and I, I, I think that I agree with that to some degree, but sometimes there are athletes that, you know, go above and beyond what others do. Would a trust and and I, I'm you you're the one who educated us on the Alston stuff and you know if it's a trust and you know you just are more free right to to divvy up that money in a different way that does seem to make some sense to me if you can tie that to certain you know people coming and and finishing to some degree what they started and you know earning that way that does at least at the surface and at our very, you know, primal understanding of this, that does make some sense to me to be able to do it that way if that's if I'm understanding it the right way, that you have a pot of money, right? All the great supporters out there want to support it. You have this pot of money and you can say, look, if you come and you're good and you and you and you you finish what you started here, this is what's waiting for you at the end of the day. And it is cash to some degree. Or I'm understanding the trust factor on this completely wrong. No, no, you got it. And and before you, you finish that last statement with the trust at the end of the day uh, or at the end of their time with the institution, the situation that you just described, Jacob, is NIL, right? So yeah. if you bring NIL internal within athletics departments, we're well, going to have athletics departments across the country that are going to make one of two decisions. There are they're going to hire employees that are athletic department employees to help manage NIL. And, uh, and do it within the rules. The assumption is that the rules will change and that institutions can now go out and, and broker the deals, can now go out and promote a student athlete and connect them with a business owner and help with the amounts and the execution of all those things, the things that we can't do now. So at the end of the day, it's not dissimilar, the situation you described in the context of trusts. It's not dissimilar to what exists in NIL, now, particularly in NIL, if you bring it within uh, the athletic department's purview. Kevin, I want to get into men's basketball here a little bit. And, and another NCAA question that I know Paul Mills talked about in his post game uh, after the Missouri game. Any updates, anything new that, that we can talk about as it pertains to Ronnie, Ronnie DeGray? Yeah, I think the update is, is that, you know, and this is one that I'm, I'm sure the listeners and all of our fans are really tired of hearing. So I'll just be transparent and authentic with that, that, it is an ongoing. It's still ongoing. And I think the challenge with this entire quote-unquote waiver process is there's literally two or three dozen different types of waivers. And each of those waivers have different criteria. Uh, we literally have uh, generated um, dozens of pages of responsive notes, documents, all of those things. Um, directly to the NCA on Ronnie's behalf. Of course, it's all protected underneath the, the, the uh, 
the FERPA piece uh, for student athletes. At the end of the day, it's easy to create a comparison to say, well, hey, I saw the young man at Cincinnati that's a 444 transfer. He just got eligible. Or, hey, I saw the young the young lady from uh, UC Santa Barbara that was a 444 transfer, and she just got eligible. What Each one of those might have done it in a different pathway. And so um, – we we have obviously we've been navigating this pathway. I think I think the pathways themselves are a real challenge. And I give you an example. Um, and we're past it. Um, obviously, we're in a different spot now. But uh, we we went through this process last year with Colby Rogers. And at the end of the day, this is when there was a specific waiver process called an NPO, and it was the non-participation waiver that no longer exists anymore. And, and back then, when an institution signed this document, it basically stated as an institution that this player is not going to have an opportunity to play here um, and that we are okay with them going someplace else uh, because they're not going to have that opportunity here. Well, the AD at Siena would not sign that document. Right, because and I had a conversation with the AD at Siena, a lengthy conversation, and and his point was, well, Colby's first off is a great young man. He's a community leader. He's a leader on our team. He's a leading scorer. He's an All League player. Why would we want him to go anywhere? And why would I sign a document that says I do? And so there are elements of these waiver processes that put individuals and institutions in a really tough spot. Um, and so. What you don't want to do is create this uh, combative relationship between two institutions, the departing institution and the accepting institution. You want to handle yourself with integrity. Uh, you want to maintain the integrity of the institution. And so that's a really long answer to tell you that we're trying to do that. And we're trying to do it in as efficient and effective a pace that we can um, to aid Ronnie throughout this process. Now, What's important to understand in this process is there are three entities involved. There are two institutions and there are the NCAA. And uh, Wichita State can only control uh, what Wichita State can control. So it's important that we are prepared, that nothing sits on our desk or in our office too long, that we're prepared with contingencies when it becomes our time to play our card, uh, which we will do. But we also understand that uh, the University of Missouri is going to do what the University of Missouri does, and the NCAA is going to do what they do. Um, so throughout the process, Missouri may have a 10-day response period, and they may choose to respond on day 10 versus day 3. Um, the NCAA may have a 14-day response period, and the committee may only meet on Tuesdays every other week. So you're subject to the timelines that are associated with that as well. So um, we're moving as quickly and efficiently as we can. Um, we want to seek clarity for Ronnie and his, for his family. We've stayed in regular contact, obviously, with Ronnie and his family. So uh, we'll continue to navigate that process. I'll withhold my opinions on the timelines of bureaucracy when it comes to the well-being of athletes. Uh, Kevin, we, we, you know, we, we, as in we, me and Tommy, have sort of highlighted, and a lot of people have, the month of December plus the Richmond game is a really good like litmus test for Shocker basketball. I think that they've shown themselves well through those first two parts of that test. Curious to see your to hear your evaluation of where you think this team is. It feels like they're, you know, in a really good spot right now. 
I will continue to leave the X's and O's, Coach Mills, and uh, I'll offer my perspective as a a non-basketball coach, but an AD that's watched a lot of basketball. I'm I, really proud of our guys and the development. Um, I think we learned some really important lessons uh, in the Liberty game. And I was very, very impressed. I think I shared with you guys on the scout and the developmental components between November 17th when we played Liberty and November 19th when we played St. Louis. I thought we addressed some really good things and we responded really well. And then we get to – Richmond, who at the time I think was 80 in Ken Palm, um, and we were sitting in that uh, 100 range. So certainly you look at that as an opportunity to um, um, to, to outpunch outside of your weight class, maybe just a little bit um, in terms of those rankings. And Richmond came in, I thought, really good team. They've done some nice things. And what I what I learned, what I saw over the course of that week was the learning from where we've been as a team prepping for Richmond and what they were going to bring, developing a game plan, practicing to that game plan, and the execution of that game plan was as good as I've seen it in my 25 years. Um, I I thought that the execution from our players was really well done, and and certainly Coach Mills echoed that in in his comments and his statements. So really positive there. Uh, we play a very competitive game against Missouri. You guys uh, saw it or saw the box score. We, we yeah. fought back from down 10 or 11 two or three times. We fought back from down six or seven two or three times. We had 18 turnovers. We scored at a 40% clip. You take – we all can play the ifs and buts and candy and nuts game. At the end of the day, we had 18 turnovers. Um, and I think Coach Mills and the staff do a phenomenal job of categorizing each one of those turnovers into one of three categories so that they can break it down and prepare um, to, to not um, make those um, those outcomes in the future. But at the end of the day, if you take 18 turnovers down to eight, you scored a 40% clip, it's a two-point game at the end of the game. All that being said, the ball's in the air twice, two consecutive possessions to tie it up in under three minutes. So nobody's into moral victories, and uh, we understand that we're in a, a, a production focused business and we got to win games. Uh, But I was very um, impressed with the position that we were in, in a tough environment at the end of the game, despite some of the mistakes that we had made throughout the game. Um, So that's a positive. We've got South Dakota state uh, coming in on Saturday interest bank. We've got uh, old Missouri Valley conference rival in Southern Illinois on the 16th. And when we we've got the sunflower showdown with Kansas state on the 21st and Kansas on 30th. So as you mentioned, there's six games there that are uh, very firm. And uh, so we'll, we'll see where we land, but I, I, I love our production. I love our process, probably most importantly, our process uh, and how we're conducting our business, because I think uh, it certainly will pay dividends down the road guys. All right, Kevin, uh, real quick, uh, we're, we're up against it here, but you can see Shocker Volleyball, third round of the NIVC. That is tonight against Drake, 630. Uh, so folks can check that out if they'd like. And then on our way out, Kevin, one, we really appreciate it. We actually have some tickets to that basketball game you just mentioned. Uh, we will, uh, we'll, let's, let's throw those out there for folks right now. So you can get a pair of tickets to that shocker game at interest bank arena this weekend. Jad will take us a winner as the first caller on the IHOP hotline, eight, six, nine, 1240. As we say farewell to you, Kevin Saul, we appreciate the perspective on that letter yesterday. That's just really crazy stuff and good timing to get you on here. Uh, but thank you for the perspective and the, in the candid nature of it. It's, it's, it's wild, but you know, we'll get there. 
And Jacob and Tommy, you, uh, I appreciate the opportunity to be on the show. You, you tell that first caller on the hotline, you can share my cell phone number with them and they can shoot me a text when they get to interest and I'll, uh, I'll meet them and thank them for supporting the shockers. So I'd be glad to do that. Um, that's a one-time approval to share my cell phone number. You can't put that out on social media. Not, not Jerome Tang in it where he just blasts that out. Yeah, that's a great idea, Jad. So Jad will get that. So call right now, 869-1240. We'll get you a winner and a chance there uh, to say hello uh, and have a quick conversation with Kevin Saul there on Saturday night. Very cool. We appreciate it, Kevin. Let's do it again in a couple of weeks. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Go Shockers. There goes Kevin Saul. Jad will get us that winner and that opportunity there, a little added to that pair of Shocker tickets for our winner today, 869-1240. Tommy and I will be back. We're up against it. We'll come back. we got to talk about that K-State overtime win last night against Villanova. Wow, another one for the Cats, the Cardiac Cats. We'll talk about it next on Sports Daily. All right, welcome back in, everybody, here to Sports Daily. Jacob Albrock, Tommy Caster. Ben, our winner there on those Shocker tickets for this weekend, and a cool little special toss-in there from Wichita State Athletic Director Kevin Saul on a little meet-and-greet before the game. Uh, good job, Ben. We'll have more prizes. What else do we have? How many more of these do we have? We got, we got so many prizes. Uh, we still have... Uh, we still have HTO to give away. We'll have more Shocker tickets later in the week. So uh, stay tuned here as we come down our last home stretch of this half hour to get to it. Uh, before we start talking K-State, by the way, Wildcat fans, check out GoPowerCat.com's PowerCat podcast, the latest bowl and transfer portal news, as well as men's and women's basketball all season long. Follow PowerCat podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, be good timing with Colin Klein news today and with an overtime basketball win last night. Big first half from Arthur Kaluma uh, helps propel K-State behind a Tyler Perry last-minute three in overtime, again in overtime, where Jerome Tang has lived very comfortably in his short time with the Cats. They beat Villanova 72-71. to This is not your uh, dad's Villanova of the last decade, certainly, but still Villanova and still uh, I think the bright spot of this K-State season, and here they sit, 7-2, and two, Tommy. That's pretty big stuff. I mean, yeah, Tyler Perry was obviously clutch in overtime, the, hit the game winner with three seconds to go in OT. It was a game that we saw the Shockers, or the, the Wildcats, uh, that is, get out to a, a pretty large eight-point lead at halftime, and then Villanova came back in the second half, forced overtime, uh, and it took a, a, a game-winning shot from Tyler Perry to win the game. Uh, it was good to see Kaluma at that level in the first half, and he he you know he's he didn't have a bad second half. He still had nine points right in the second half, or, or or in the in the after the first half. But Perry still you know despite a bad shooting night, just being very comfortable taking that shot is a good thing for K State. I mean, he was you know he hit one three. I think he was one and nine before that shot, and. He just like it was there was no doubt in his mind. And and I do like that. I do like that. Shooter's got to shoot. Right. And he's got a long enough track record that I think Jerome Tang and the Cats are very comfortable with his, you know, eight to ten three pointers in every game they play. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours 
and great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Last night's a good example. Like, it, you know, it, you're in a spot where you've got to have it, and you want that confidence despite a bad shooting night. So, yeah. you, I mean, that's the thing. You want anybody else taking that shot? Because I don't think that I do. Well, and even with Arthur Kaluma having such a great night, I mean, I think you know that the one thing that Tyler Perry brings to the table is that clutch gene, right? And, and he stepped up big and made shots when the Wildcats needed it against Oral Roberts in the overtime game, against North Alabama in the overtime game. Did it again last night against Villanova in overtime. So, you know, this is a familiar uh, situation, familiar territory for Kansas State getting into these overtime games. And you look for the person that even if they've had a tough shooting night prior to, you look for the most clutch person on the team. It's obviously Tyler Perry. Yeah, and and look, I, I think that, at some point this year, he's going to start ripping, right? Like, he's going to start shooting really, really well. And we'll get to that point, and I don't worry about it. I, let me give you an example. As KU wins, you know, by 19 over UMKC, continuing a stretch of just in these cupcake games, don't bet the spread on KU. But when we see Nick Timberlake, for instance— struggling again, shooting the three, one of five, right? Same same exact percentage as Tyler Perry, right? Tyler Perry's two of 10, Nick Timberlake's one of five. Same shooting night. I have the utmost confidence that Perry is going to have this figured out and really start to let it rip at some point this year. Want him to shoot it as much as he can. I'm not sure I feel the same way about Timberlake. And I compare them because they're two transfer guys coming in who are two of the better shooters in the country I want Perry taking the shots. I, how much longer can KU let well, Timberlake try to shoot through this? So I, the, I don't know. The only difference between those two guys, and there are similarities, the transfer nature and, and good shooters and you know all of that in their previous stops. The difference between the two of them is the role that they play and the importance level that they are to their respective teams, right? And, and I don't want to diminish the importance of having Nick Timberlake play at the best of his ability, but... Again, the Jayhawks have Hunter Dickinson, and they've got Kevin McCuller. Like They've got sure. other players. Tyler Perry looks to be the guy for the Wildcats, right? Like He is the, the, the number one, I would say, above Cam Carter, uh, above Arthur Kaluma. Uh, and so uh, the, the fact that the Wildcats, I mean, they've got to lean on him 
I think, more than what Kansas has to lean on Nick Timberlake. You want to have Nick Timberlake shooting the ball well, and you need to have that outside shooting threat if the Jayhawks want to be a legitimate national title contender. But as far as, like, nobody looks at Nick Timberlake as the number one guy offensively for the Jayhawks the way that you would look at Tyler Perry for Kansas State. Yeah, look, um, it, but it doesn't I, – I do think that Timberlake's role for KU as a shooter is a really important one. It is. And, again, I'm not trying to diminish that role, but do you look at and, – and let's say that Nick Timberlake was shooting the ball at a better clip than what he has been early this season. Would you still look at Nick Timberlake as the offensive no. leader of this team? No, it'd be Kevin McCuller no, no, or no, Hunter no, Dickinson. No. Yeah, I get what you're saying. You look Tyler, Tyler Perry, Perry is far more important. He's the to offensive K-State, leader yeah. for the no Wildcats. Question. No question. I I, ju- I do think it's interesting though to see two shooters and have different because you know you want shooters to shoot through it. Yeah, and you've got two shooters here, and because KU has other things, it's like well. I don't know how much longer you can put up with trying to shoot through that because you can do some other things. K-State has to have Tyler Bear shoot through it. Yep. I mean, to some degree, right? Like, he has to do it. And 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 I think that there's definitely more confidence that he will uh, because you see things last night, like last night. Nick Timberlake does not seem confident to me. Tyler Perry, when I see him play, he could be shooting 1 of 10 or 8 of 10, and it looks the exact same. Like it, it just like that. He's gonna be totally comfortable in that skin and do his thing. And that's that's not always what's needed, but it's what's needed for K State this year. Um, and I think we're gonna continue to see it. And I do think he's gonna start shooting at a higher clip consistently at some point here. That was a good. That's a, that's a really good win for K State. Yeah, I, the, I was concerned going into that game. I want to tip my cap to the atmosphere in Bramlage. You know, Jerome Tang. We yeah, talked about it job. yesterday. You know how yep. uh, Jerome Tang was, I think, relatively critical of the fan base and and the attendance and the atmosphere inside Bramlage. And I get it. They played Oral Roberts in North Alabama, and both those games were overtime games. Uh, you play a better opponent in Villanova. They had been ranked in the top twenty-five. They come to town to Bramlage. The student section showed up. The season ticket holders showed up. It was it was as good of an atmosphere, I would say, that, that we've seen all season for Kansas State. And, and it might be the best atmosphere outside of the Sunflower Showdown that we might see all year. Yeah, look, it matters who you play. I, you know, like, I, 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 am, I have no issue with Jerome Tang They're getting after it a little bit. I said that yesterday. But let's be honest here. The opponent matters for almost every the program in the country outside of Kansas. Like, Kansas is going to sell them all out. There's not I mean, not very many places that are going to do that, right? right. So so if you, if you want to put butts in the seats consistently, don't play North Alabama, yeah. right? You got to play Villanova, and they're going to show up. They're going to show up in the Big 12? Of course they are. And you know what? We actually have some sound from Jerome Tang after the game talking okay. about that fact. Congratulations, man. What a great win. Thank that was you. a big-time win. You. Big time win, big time atmosphere. Uh, thank you to the students who, um, they weren't offended by my challenge. You know, they embraced it, and that's just the kind of people we have here at K-State and to our fans, uh, season ticket holders who also embraced it and uh, took care of business. We don't win this game without them. Love it. I love it. And and I, he just, like, again, it's just a genuine nature to all of it. And that's why it didn't bother me that much. Sometimes it does bother me when coaches get on fans like that. 
it didn't bother me with Tang. One, because they're winning. And I, I think as long as you're winning, you can make that challenge to fans. But, I mean, it was because of the opponent. You get Villanova and everybody gets excited. Do they sell, you know, do they sell that many seats and have it that way? If he doesn't challenge them, I don't know. Uh, but I appreciate uh, his response there, too, in the aftermath of it. That probably went a little sideways on him. Uh, but, you know, like he's not doing anything where people are coming after him for challenging the fans. It's not like a hostile situation where, oh, I can't believe he said that. I was like, oh, you know what? He's probably kind of right. Yeah, I don't have an issue with it. I mean, I, I appreciate and I've always appreciated uh, Jerome Tang's candor uh, when, when it comes to certain things. And, you know, I think that what he's done and I understand the level of competition before the Villanova game was not high level competition and the Wildcats struggled at times against those opponents. I understand all of that. As the basketball coach at Kansas State, he wants to have as good of an environment as possible for his team to play in. So I, I get the challenge, and I'm also I'm grateful that the fans showed up and, and they made it count last night. It was a fun environment, fun game. KU also gets a win. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit next as well. Big news today, Colin Klein out at K-State. He's on to Texas A&M, and everybody now watches and waits with if. Really, it's just an if there's an aftermath that involves a certain quarterback. I don't think there is. Uh, the reporting so far is that there's not, but doesn't mean we are not all nervous about it with Avery Johnson. All right, we'll come back. We'll talk a little KU hoops and their win over is it UMKC or Kansas City now? I see both. I think they're calling themselves Kansas City now. Yeah, but we're probably not going to do that. They'll always They're still be UMKC, be UMKC to me. Yeah. All right. We'll come back. We'll hit that game next on Sports Day. All right, welcome back, everybody. Sports Daily here on KFH. Jacob Albrock, Tom Caster. I appreciate you, Kevin Saul. Uh, good stuff from Kevin on these proposed changes, I suppose, by Charlie Baker in the letter sent out to athletic administrators. Kevin Saul has read that. He gave his perspective. You can go back and listen to that at kfhradio.com. I thought there was some really good perspective there, quite frankly, on all that. Uh, Tommy, KU plays last night against UMKC. They win. They win. It's not comfortably, though, like not as comfortably as it probably should be. They don't cover the number again. Um, they, you know, they look they looked good late in the game. Kevin McCuller was great again. Hunter Dickinson was not as good. He got in a little bit of foul trouble, although they let him play through it. I thought K.J. Adams looked really, really good. But, you know, at the end of the day, you can't give up 70 points to UMKC. Can well, you? I mean, look, I, I think that when you look at their upcoming schedule— before conference play begins, you've really got one more cupcake game. That's the game against Yale on December 22nd. You know, they play Missouri this weekend. They're on the road at Indiana. They play Wichita State in Kansas City. So, you know, Yale is the only one. I would imagine that spread for the Yale game is going to be fairly large. And I would absolutely not bet the Jayhawks to cover it. It's not that they're not a good team. It's that when you don't have a legitimate deep shot scoring threat, you're not going to cover those large margins against opponents like UMKC or Yale or some of the other teams they played earlier in the season. You're just not. So 
I, I get it. And and if they don't like bounce back and beat Tennessee and UConn, like I, it's just it's just a strange dynamic. You know, they've played other than Marquette right well against really good opponents this year, and then they haven't played that well against their bad opponents. At least not in relative terms, right? I don't think anybody would watch the Chaminade or this game or Eastern Illinois and say, yeah, KU looked really good last night. Because I don't know that they did. But I mean, but I'm it not... doesn't, but it doesn't, but, 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 but doesn't matter because they're beating UConn and they're beating right. Tennessee. So it's just this weird thing. Like it's, it's very strange because like I just, you watch them beat UConn like that and you're like, oh, they're going to, they should come back and, just smash UMKC at home by 30 points. And that's just not happening this year. It's, yeah, it's I, been an interesting dynamic. I don't want to have those, you know, conversations of like reactionary. They, you know, only beat Eastern Illinois by eight points after they beat, you know, the 17th ranked team in the country, the Tennessee Volunteers, and they beat Kentucky by five in the Champions Classic. They're beating UConn at home, but then they only beat Kansas City by 19 points, right? Like, I, I don't want to go through this, like, I know. <laughs> Reactionary. Oh, they're great. Oh, they're not good. Oh, they're great. Oh, they're not good. Like, I think that this is a team, and we talked about it before, about just their lack of depth. You've got their starters playing a ton of minutes. I think you you can expect a little bit of a, a come down, uh, right? After the, the huge atmosphere, the big-time opponent in the Huskies over the weekend, then they're back at home playing UMKC. I mean, all right, like you can maybe take your foot off the gas a little bit. I'm not saying that's what happened, but I think that you and Bill Self even alluded to it after the game that, you know, he's dealing with some tired players right now. They're playing a lot of minutes. Yeah, look, you've got when you've got wins over UConn, Tennessee and Kentucky, you're fine, right? That's not what I'm trying to say at all. I'm just like it's been a strange dynamic to watch this year, you know, other again, other than Marquette, who just beat their butts to watch them play so well against the really good teams and not at that same level against the really bad teams. It's, it's just a thing that's happening. Yeah. Um, and then you get, but you don't get you're, you're right. You don't really get those the rest of the way. I don't know how good Yale is this year. Yale's been good though. In years past, I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't I mean, know. If how you're to talking, Yale I, I don't know. Like if it's a 22 point spread, I'm just pulling that number out of thin air. I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm not sure I'm going to bet the Jayhawks to, to cover. Well, that listen, number. it's all it's all about the betting here with us sometimes. And and so for KU, I've had a couple of auto bets, and I'm getting to the point where it's like, do I just like bet the cupcake on these games? Because I don't, you know, very early in the year, like at the very beginning, KU was covering those numbers, but they haven't in a while. Uh, but. You know, you, we look at it now, and, like, the auto bets have been, well, number one, Kevin McCuller points have right. been an auto bet, uh, which I made money on last night, as well as his three-pointers. It's, like, over one and a half. Hunter Dickinson's points, rebounds, and assists had been very auto. He wasn't there last night, though. Right. And, look, if you want to talk about how the Jayhawks have done against the spread this year in their nine games, they're four and five. They didn't cover against UMKC. Didn't cover against Eastern Illinois. Didn't cover against Chaminade. Those large margins, they did not cover. Uh, yeah. Uh, we'll see. They don't have very many of those left, so it doesn't really matter anymore. Just keep going to the well with Kevin McCullough until you don't, I guess. All right, we'll come back. Uh, let's give away some HTO. Two coffee cards for the East Wichita or Derby location, 869-1240 on the IHOP hotline. Right now, you can get your hands on those free brew house coffee drinks. We'll come back, wrap it up on Sports Daily.
T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.